0: The Big Rick Podcast, the best of the biggest interviews from Big Rick in the morning on iHeartRadio, Apple or Google Podcasts or anywhere podcasts are heard. See more info now at onairwithrick.com. Good morning. All right. Glad to have you back on the program, Mr. Brett Guthrie, uh, Congressman Brett Guthrie, that is. Um, so let's talk about PPE. Uh, you have an update on that for us here locally in South Central Kentucky? Well, we're kind of
1: looking at, you know, two different phases. So we did just pass a another bill to try to address the financial crisis In America. So, as we say, we have two crises going on. One is the financial crisis or economic crisis Mm -hmm. that businesses are facing because of the reaction to the healthcare crisis that people are facing with the the COVID virus. And so, the last bill we tried to pass, uh, that we did pass, that what we're addressing is particularly small businesses that are shut down or have seen a significant decrease in their business because of the reaction to the COVID virus. And so that was the PPP program, the payroll protection program, that any small business hopefully by now has, has received their loans or in the in the system, but it's where a small business person would go to their banker. It's not government agency, because we just thought that would overwhelm, which we have 4,000 banks nationwide in the system, and it took a while to get all of them in. I couldn't imagine 1.7 million small businesses who got loans in the first round trying to work... Uh, the federal government trying to work with them. So we set it up the right way through banks. So if you're a small business and you are being affected by the COVID virus, go to your banker. And what the program does, and I think most people are in it now, but I'll explain it again, is it allows you to keep your employees on payroll. So you can get a loan from your bank to make your payroll. And you can also, so 75% of it has to go to payroll. And then you have 25% you can use for things like utilities, um uh, Interest on mortgage. not uh, not anything on your equity, and or rent if you rent for your business. And so it helps the idea to, to help small businesses bridge the gap. It helps them with their expenses. If if we didn't do this, then then employees would be on unemployment. Mm-hmm. And so we want this program so they can stay on the payroll. So they can be easily recallable. So as things are starting to open up again in some other states, ours uh, over the next few weeks it appears the governor's making some orders to let people get back to work over for, through the month of May, which we're now in. So hopefully we'll get people um, back to work. But that program is up and running. So if a small business is listening to this and said, Hey, I've, I've been affected by COVID. I'm a small business. Call your banker and tell them you're interested in the small business administration's payroll protection program. And that should, uh, the banks, Every bank in our area that I know of is familiar with it and either participating or referring their customers to a bank that is.
0: So uh, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but uh, just a quick follow-up question. Um, I saw news yesterday that uh, Fruit of the Loom is going to be laying off 500 employees or furloughing them. Um, I, I know that the PPP program is aimed at small businesses, but at some point, is Congress going to address some of these mid-size or larger companies who have to either lay off or terminate positions because of what's going on right now?
1: Well, there are, there are other programs for um, those kind of businesses that, that were put into place. So the PPP is more focused on small business. Okay. So a company like Fruit of the Loom that we're so proud to have headquartered in our district you know, the bigger companies have other programs that they participate in. And there were some that kind of cross over. You'll see big brand names. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big ones is like Ruth's Chris that you saw. But their stores may be owned by individuals. Um, I'm in my Bowling Green office now. I can look out and see a courtyard by Marriott. So Marriott, as a corporation, can't participate in the PPP. But the people who own this courtyard, it's not Marriott. It's owned by local people. A franchise. You know, and, the people, yeah. and the franchise. So the people who work for their, you know, the, the people that, that are the housekeeping, the maintenance, the front desk, those. The, the, I think there's a little Starbucks in there. The people who work in those. Offices, those kind of work don't work for Marriott, they work for a local franchisor. And so those can participate in it as well, as long as you're franchised. You don't have enough franchises to put you over 500 employees. So you'll see a lot of headlines through the news with, uh, with big names, all this company is getting this, but a lot of it's small local business people that just have a franchise. And unfortunately, news doesn't do it, its homework a lot of times to go deep enough to present that, but that's where we are. So you get phone calls, how come so and so got this, but a small. Business yeah. can't. Well, small businesses can. That's why we just put more money into the program, and uh, and so everybody should. Everybody that qualifies, that needs the loan, and qualifies for the loan should be able to have the loan, regardless if a Marriott franchisor gets it or not. The small person should have it too.
0: I did have one question that just popped up in okay. my mind before we get to that, and that is the meat Shortage. I know uh, Trump signed a, an executive order, but uh, do you do you know if that's going to have a big effect here regionally for us or not? It, any information there?
1: Well, the, what the president wanted to make sure is that local and state uh, officials didn't go in and shut down meat plants and or food packaging plants, and so he has the order that they remain open. There's a couple of uh, packaging plants that I'm going to be talking with in the next couple of days to make sure they know what that means. Uh, what the president said, that that take a national authority, that they are essential, they are to stay open, they're not going to be shut down. And so that should keep the meat um, issues moving forward. We have to look, I think, in the long term about the fact that our meat industry is consolidated into a handful of big uh, packers. And a lot of it's regulatory where the small guys can't keep up with the federal regulations coming down. So they sell out to bigger people and a couple of them are foreign owned. And so we, there's some we're going to need to address. Um, I don't see that um, there's going to be a meat shortage as, as, in the immediate time frame. But usually, when somebody starts talking about it, then it creates, it can create a shortage. by just the fact that you talk about it, but I'm going to be talking to some meat packing people to make sure the supply chain is, is full. That's what the president wants to make sure that our farmers have a place to take their hogs and cattle and chickens. And that people have the opportunity to buy and consume those. But the problem that's gotten into agriculture isn't so much the availability of food as the way it's been distributed. Most, you know, half the people eat out on a regular basis. So while I was on a phone call with agriculture people yesterday and said a lot of people in the vegetable world, one, they have they half their vegetables are shipped to grocery stores for individual consumption, but most of the system is set up for bulk shipping. So they ship bulk vegetables. It goes through a warehouse that they bulk, and they ship them to food chains in, in bulk distribution. So the, the issue is not necessarily the food being available, but just getting it to the right place at the right time. And there's big effort with Sunny Produce, the Secretary of Agriculture, to make sure that we do get the food where it needs to be at the right place at the right time.
0: Okay. Congressman Brett Guthrie is on the hotline right now. We're talking coronavirus and its impact on South central Kentucky. Uh, Congressman, you you, you know, as anybody, we've seen a big spike in cases in Warren County, also Butler County and Simpson County have been dealing with this for about six weeks now. Um, So let's talk healthcare real quick, uh, which is your specialty. Uh, No vaccine in the short term uh, future right now, but do you have any updates on, on where we're at with that and, and also, maybe an update on expanded testing in South Central Kentucky too.
1: Okay, so the the two things with vaccines: one, it is possible, and a lot of scientists want to say want to hedge it when they say that. So I'm, I've talked to scientists that is absolutely possible that we could have a vaccine, but it won't be to the end of the year. Okay, and the the issue is you've got to make sure you have tests. You don't want a vaccine that might, in theory, and they start producing it, kill COVID but cause other problems, uh, respiratory, heart problems, other kinds of things. they got to make sure that it's safe. And so what's going on now is public and private sector at the National Institutes of Health are working together on therapeutics and vaccines. And so the idea with a vaccine, what, what would typically happen is somebody would develop a vac- an idea for a vaccine, get it approved, go into trials. Once the trial gets approved, and say, "Hey, this works." Then you go into production because you don't want to get right to the end, build a, an assembly plan or a production plan or production line, and get to the not get the last signature and say, "Well, this this failed." And a lot of medicines, so our pharmaceuticals are expensive. One out of every ten get approved because a lot of them have theory, but they don't get to the final point where they actually do what they expect it to do. So a lot of that happens. Having said that, there because we've dealt with. Similar viruses before MERS, SARS, the flu virus is sort of similar. Then there's been a lot of research on these type of virus viruses already, so there are promising vaccines. And so, what this group is doing is sitting down and okay, what's promising, and it, and there are some that are really really promising. Except they say they can't scale them up. They just there's no potential to to deal with to, to grow the virus the vaccine's quick enough. So they're looking at one, what is promising and what is scalable. And so the federal government is going to be working with the private sector to be working on their production facilities on promising. Um, what we don't want to do is like come in September, October, November and say, Hey, we have this vaccine. It works. And say, so, okay, now we got to spend the next year getting ready to produce it. We want it to be able to produce when it's approved. So there's going to be some investment in facilities and production facilities that probably won't work or be used, but we think that's a necessary risk because we know that it's cost us in what really about since end of February till today, it's cost us $3 trillion as a federal government, not including what the VETs put in, in loss of revenue and loss of income to us. That's what the federal government has spent. So we think it's valuable to spend money to make sure that when the vaccine's approved, it's ready to go forward. The more promising stuff in the short term are the the remdesivir, the gilead um, antiviral, and some other things that seem to work against the coronavirus. And those are the rendesivir isn't, and, I, and I'm I'm not a a, a scientist. I'm going to use simple terms, and <laughs> so they, they don't. If a scientist is listening, that so this doesn't accurately fit, I just want to say I know that. But so Rendezivir is not like camouflage. So if you get COVID, you go to a local uh, drugstore and get Rendezivir, and you take it, and it makes you feel better, and you get over it quicker. That's not what it is. What Rendezivir is is an intravenous drug. That is for the most serious patients that are in the hospital, and it prevents them from – it it really decreases the risk of death and and, and the stay in the hospital. But if we can just take care of the most serious cases, the most serious cases – and, and really decrease the death rate, hopefully close to zero. I mean, there's always comorbidity, co, comorbidities in this, so there are other things going on, and a lot of people who, who pass away from the COVID. But if we could just decrease the effect on the most serious cases, then we can open up the economy because most people who get COVID are going to feel feel like they have the flu. And most people every year, a great number of our people in our country, get the flu. So if we can decrease the death rate to closer to the flu levels, then we, I think, we could have an economy working like we do in the flu season. And that's what we're trying to get to. So rendesivir is very promising in that. It's had uh, enormous success in its first trial to the point where they're giving the people in the control study that didn't get, they got the placebo Rindezvere. And so biscuit, these are the things that really get us to opening the economy back up for, so you, nobody wants to get COVID. But if you walked outside and says, I'm going to go into an environment where I'm going to be around other people, and if I get COVID, I'm either going to, one, feel like I have the flu, if it affects me worse than that, like it is, like COVID does, then there's randesivir that's going to prevent me from being on a ventilator and passing away then I think the, the risk starts getting mitigated and we can get our economy working and people back up and running again. And the, the one thing that, that's, that's promising about this virus, if there's any, that's a, um, I say that around quotes, is that it doesn't appear to mutate as the flu does. So we, we have flu season, we take the flu shot, we develop a vaccine for the next year. The flu virus, viruses want to survive like everything else, figures out how to mutate. And so it's less effective. The protein from the coronavirus that, that Rendesvir blocks from uh, allowing it to replicate uh, doesn't appear to mutate to that point. So okay. that's one, one good thing about this virus is more deadly than the flu, but it also doesn't appear to change like the flu. And I say it doesn't appear to because we're still learning about it. But people at the NIH... To do this stuff every day and look at viruses like this every day, are optimistic that a vaccine can be developed that will
0: destroy this virus. Oh, that's good news. Encouraging news. That is news. good news. Uh, before we've
1: been chasing the because we've been chasing the cold virus, we've been chasing the flu virus for years, for decades. But this appears to be one in a category that we can have a vaccine for.
0: Okay. Uh before we proceed, um want to ask you would it be okay to ask you uh what you think of Governor Bashir's um reopening plan would that be okay? Sure, sure. Okay. Let me uh let me rephrase here. Um I just okay. had uh, Governor Bashir on the show last week and he kind of uh you know, laid out the reopening plan for Kentucky uh, May 11th to 20th and 25th are really the, the initial dates when things will start to reopen slowly. Uh, how do you feel about his plan and how fast or slowly we're moving along with this?
1: Well, I think it's time to move forward. So I'm glad that we are moving forward on getting uh, things open. Of course, uh, you know, Kentucky, like most states are just different depending on where you are. And so uh, I know like a I know somebody who lives uh, outside of Paducah in Illinois, and they're saying my district is like Western Kentucky, but if you're looking at the whole state, you also include Chicago's. And it's and actually, people in Bowling Green probably live closer to Chicago than his people in his district <laughs> do. And so there, there, it has to be a state decision. It has to be local decisions. You can't just do this from Washington, because think, think of the differences between states and the differences between states. Um, you know, if we were just doing a national plan, it would just be just be too big. So within a state or, or a state, so you know, the governors laid out a plan to open. I'm glad that we have a plan to get people back to work and open. The PPP and other programs are designed for about eight weeks, and we're you know this has been going on since the end of May. I mean, excuse, excuse me, the end of February, and so we're we were expecting to be opening up by now. That's what we were hoping for. And the key thing to opening is, I think the Oklahoma governor said it. I heard him interviewed the other day. And when we talk about, I knew Dr. Fauci before he was Dr. Fauci. I've uh, mm-hmm. been in meetings with him. I'm on that committee that, that has oversight over his group. And at the very beginning of this, he said, "What we?" I just want to let people know what's going to happen. At the very beginning of this, he says, we have to flatten the curve. What, and what he meant by that, we can't let the peak cases be above of our ability to put ICU beds and ventilators. Because what happened in Italy, they had more people need ICU beds and ventilators than were available, so their death rate went. What we certainly don't know the denominator, but if we just want to com- try to compare numbers, I know it's probably lower than this, but. It, what we can think is about one to one and a half percent, given the numbers that we know in Italy, it got up to a few within a week, like 12%, but at least seven or 8% because they exceeded the capacity of their hospitals. So what the governor of Oklahoma said is this is to that lay that out to say this, he says, we have 300 cases in Oklahoma and we have 4,000 empty hospital beds. He said, so when, we open up, and this is a communicable disease, when people start being around each other more, there are, in my opinion, will be more cases lower than our capacity to deal with them. And so, it opened up, and now they've got 10% rise in cases. But in Oklahoma, if they even double their number of cases, from 300 to 600, they still have 4,000 hospital beds. And so, those are the things to look for. And I understand that's going to be different people that want to use different ways but as long as we prevent our hospital systems from being overwhelmed i'm agreeing that it's okay to open up to government and then if people do contract it and do get to the point where they're at the sickest point we have the ability to take care of that
0: congressman oh sorry go ahead that's that's just where we were so that
1: that was kind of my view of
0: it yeah Congressman Brett Guthrie is on the phone line. Um, so, uh, one last question before we go. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, helping out small and large businesses, um, of course, our healthcare workers, uh, the, the residents of Kentucky. But uh, one thing that we really haven't talked about uh, since you've been on my show is the the local municipalities, state government. I mean, this is going to have a big, big toll in the months and years to come because of all this. Um, I saw that Senator McConnell he just sent me an email about securing 3 billion dollars for the state of Kentucky to help local governments and of course the, the commonwealth uh, any comments on on how that's going to be deployed and used to relieve some of that well, pr- financial pressure
1: Well the, the focus on it is is and I'm not sure exactly how he, he crit- how he characterized that that number that he sent you but one is for mm-hmm. hospitals Okay uh, hospitals are not doing uh, electric, uh, elective surgeries. So that when the governor of Oklahoma says, I got 4,000 hospital beds and 300 patients, that there's a lot of hospitals with empty beds because they've been waiting for the patients to come in. Thank goodness they're not coming in the numbers that we thought. And so because the mitigation that's working. And so some of it is to help hospitals who've lost revenue, to help state and local governments because of their expenses with covid Mm -hmm. What what I don't want to do and what a lot of us don't want to do, and I think Senator McConnell has specifically said, is for some states that have been on the verge of financial issues prior to COVID, use this as an opportunity to say, oh, we need to. I think there was a state senate leader in Illinois says we need to get our pension system funded because we've lost revenue because of COVID. Well, they had a a bank pension system system Before this happened, and oh, so long before the, this, <laughs> long before this. Yes. So there's no there's there's no desire, at least on my part. I think I think I'm speaking for Senator McConnell as well, for us to go in and fix problems in states that ha- already had structural problems before this happened. Yeah. So my view of it is, we need to take care of COVID-related expenses, and some of that is loss of revenue. So we need to look at that, but we don't need to look at well, these states for the last five or six years or even a decade have been in trouble. Now we have COVID, so let's go bail everybody out. I think there, there's an attitude developing to do that. And Senator McConnell says, no, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to help people in states and businesses that are affected by COVID, but we're not to take care of – because the problem is if you just threw money at some of the states that have pension problems and they don't make reforms, it's not going to fix the problem it's going to get this exacerbated. So that what we want to make sure is this crisis is not used as an opportunity to fix problems prior to the COVID problem issue. Uh,
0: one thing that I talked to the governor about was reopening schools in the fall. He told me that he feels uh, not confident, but his hope is to have students back in class this fall in Kentucky. How do you feel about that?
1: Well, I hope they can do that. Uh, and this is, uh, we'll have to see where we stand in, the, in, in August and September. But hopefully, if we get the, some of the therapeutics that are out there that are being discussed, particularly for the sickest patients, then we hopefully will be able to do that. It's just hard in May to predict what's going to be the situation in August.
0: Okay, Congressman Brett Guthrie is on the hotline with us. Um, I think I've taken enough of your time today. Yeah,
1: I got a ten thirty call. Yeah. I got a call. So uh, yeah, I appreciate. It. I enjoy talking with you.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you being on, and we'll get an update from you soon. God bless. Stay healthy and stay safe.
1: Same to you. Appreciate it very much.
0: Thanks for listening to the Big Rick Podcast. Remember to subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are heard. See exclusive video interviews and content now with the Big Rick in the Morning YouTube channel. Subscribe now at
1: onairwithrick.com.